This is Self-Discovery with Survivor and Power Life Coach Financial. I'm your host, Alicia. I'm a certified life coach and accountant. I'm certified in the state of Connecticut to assist individuals in active domestic violence and or sexual assault situation. I am a survivor of domestic violence myself. Self-Discovery is here to assist survivor in rediscovering themselves through my podcast with relevant topic where we discuss how, why, and solution so before we start tonight, I want you to get your pencil, paper, and write down whatever resonates with you. Um, we had this gentleman before. Um, he's back with us again because he has so much information to give us. He's so talented in what he does. And I think it's, you know, got to give that person the space and the platform. Um, I, I'm just overwhelmed with joy to be able to speak to him. And he has his own platform. Um, Chaka. Please introduce yourself and just tell the world again all the different places where they can find you. Okay. Well, first off, I want to thank God for giving me the power to speak with you today. I also want to thank you for your wonderful invitation to this uh, platform. Um, and uh, I can be reached by telephone, 718-304-1114. Uh, and that is the number two, the Black Knight LLC, which is a virtual mental health platform where I am able to provide counseling through Zoom. I guess that's the short uh, way of saying so. Yes. I am also CEO and founder of uh, the Black Knight program, which is a program where we teach the game of life through the game of chess and teach our young people how to move from their current position to where they would like to go in their future. I'm also the CEO and founder of the Interagency Alliance, which is an organization that seeks to aggregate individual effort for collective impact. And what that means in short is we can do far more together than we can ever do apart. And that uh, effort came as a result of a one-year-old being murdered in my neighborhood and let me know that while I was doing some things, I could do a lot more. Uh, I don't think I shared that that uh, with you the last time I was here. No, but didn't. what that did is it inspired me to greater action. Uh, because whenever these things happen in our neighborhoods, we always we hear or see things on the news. We say, well, uh, I don't need to do anything about that because that happened across town. So it gives us an opportunity to let ourselves off the hook and not to bear any responsibility for what it is that we are seeing around us. But this situation was God's way of hand delivering a situation to me and not giving me any room to let myself off the hook. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I, I, I do several different things um, in the community all focused around 
disenfranchised people winning. I am a champion for the underdog and especially for black people. So I have my own, uh, I have my own YouTube channel. I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Chaka Fair, C-H-A-K-A, last name P-H-A-I-R-E. And I am a clinical social worker. I've been practicing for approximately 27 years and I absolutely love what I do. Woo! Love it, love it, love it. This topic I want to discuss is about mental health, mental health and abuse. And I have seen many survivors who have spoken to me and told their story where their father was mentally challenged mm-hmm. and their father was abusive. And my right. thought is always there is a difference between and you know between the different reading I've done where you can be abusive and have a mental issue, but there's a difference. Um you can be mentally challenged but still have your wear at all to know what you're doing is not right. And yes, my thought, and you let me know, is that when you have mental challenge, but you are fully aware of what you, what abuse and thing is. Those abuse usually don't take place in public. First of all, you're not right. advertising your mental issue. Somebody who's mentally challenged, who have no control over that, when they become a you know physical, I wouldn't say abusive. When they become physical, it's usually wherever. There's no right. specific space. It got to be behind closed door when nobody else is around. Or as soon as the person leaves, as soon as our guests leave, I beat you up. And when the guests come back, I'm on my best behavior. I feel right. the mental abuse, the mental issue is separated from that physical abuse. You know what you're doing when you're abusing me, physically abusing me. Um, Absolutely. So- I, I believe that a lot of people who have mental health concerns are just that they still live in worlds where there are rules. The, regardless as to what your diagnosis is on the DSM-5, which is the, um, the criteria which we use to diagnose, you still have to walk across the street and know that you shouldn't cross the street when the light is against you and know that cars can hit you. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a diagnosis or not, you still have to operate in a world with rules. Mm-hmm. And you know, oftentimes there are people who are able to negotiate those things better than others. Mental illness doesn't mean that uh, you have a level of psychosis where you don't know exactly what's going on. What it is is that you are still yourself but you are under different pressures, different beliefs, different um, experiences. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, some some patients who may have schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. um, they're still themselves, but they just believe that there is a huge crisis going on. If you see me here or hear me on this program, You hear me speaking in a calm voice. If I was in a plane that was on its way down 
you might not hear that same level of calm. There might be some urgency to what it is that I'm saying. There might be some gravity to my actions. Uh, there might be some passion coming from my voice. When we are talking about schizophrenia and some of the other diagnoses, the person is still the person. They are just under different auspices. They believe that something else is going on that is far bigger than what it is that we see. So, you know, um, with the medication, that's another, another thing is when a person who is taking psychotropic medication, they shouldn't be doped up to the point where they feel zombie-like or catatonic. That means that the medication is too high. The medication has to be customized in such a way for that individual to still be a semblance of who you knew them to be. The medication should not change their personality. What it should do is give them an opportunity and a fighting chance to win the battles that they are fighting internally. Wow, I like that because I know a lot of people who I speak to, they shy away from medication because it says just exactly what you just said. They don't feel like themselves. They feel unaware. They feel numb. And therefore, yeah. they start taking it because they do want help. They do want to feel right. different. They don't want to feel crisis or panic. But when they take that, they feel so dead, so numb, and it make them depressed. Yeah. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's a difficult thing. Um, and after, you know, my own personal experience, my son, he was, um, he, he wouldn't take medication. So I want your input. Right. He was getting help. And for him, he had to go in full-time so they could actually process his medication because when he was getting it from his doctor take it go home I come back and say I'm not well it doesn't make me feel good this doctor doesn't get the full picture all they're knowing that you're saying right. it's not working well try they're they're yeah. more assertive yeah. and pushy where you're in an environment where they can observe when you're saying it doesn't make me feel good it makes me feel this way they're actual people observing and they are able more to adjust because they witness what you're saying, what you're saying correlate with what you're physically being. So they they help you. So I feel definitely not for all, but I feel going in and getting the assessment and getting your medication fine-tuned to your behavior versus the back and forth, the constant, where I know a lot of people just stop. A lot of people are just not taking uh, Well, what, what, what often happens is this, is... Unfortunately, in, in my industry, whenever a person has severe mental health concerns, they look to put them on medication. That's the first, that's their go-to. And, you know, medication is an ominous term. There are so many different brands of medication. There's so many different dosages of those brands of medication. So when we say medication, we have to get specific in terms of what medication we are talking about. What milligrams are we talking? How much you are taking each day to say what is working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. If we're taking, uh, let's say, uh, 
lithium, okay? Let's say we're taking lithium and are having issues with the lithium. A person is not going to come and say, well, I have problems with lithium. They say, oh, I had a problem with the medication. I took it and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But there are so many different medications that you can take, so many different dosages. And the point is for you to work in concert with your psychiatrist to get the perfect and customized diagnoses. We don't walk into a store and buy just a shirt mm -hmm. and say, oh, I tried shirts. They don't work. You have to buy a shirt that fits you. Is it your size? Is it your style? I mean, just as much as you would put into your clothing that you wear has to be put into the type of medications that you accept into your body. Then we get into thresholds. There are some people who are completely against medications. You know, there are other types of ways of providing therapy outside of medications. So with medications, what is man-made has side effects. Yes. We have to be aware of what those side effects are. So yeah. you might take a medication that might have this type of side effect. Then you take another medication for that side effect and oh, so okay. on and so on. Next thing you know, you have a dresser full of pills. Yes. So, you know, if that's okay for you, then that's okay. No. But you have to go into it understanding that there are going to be side effects one way or the other. There's no perfect medication that I know that doesn't have any type of side effects. When you are going into it, you have to do your due diligence and your research, find out what are these side effects. You have these medications on the, the commercials and they talk about all of these wonderful things that you, you know, if you want this medication, have a doc, have a talk with your doctor. And then they uh, whisper or uh, speak in a voice that sounds like as if they're smiling and they tell you all of the things that could possibly happen, yes. you know, uh, including death. Yes. So we have to really be aware of what those side effects are and whether we are willing to trade off the positive effects for this medication against the side effects that may put us in a different place. So another thing is... Let's look at other things. I believe in a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. I really try to limit mm -hmm. um, medications or uh, prescriptions because once again, I, I, don't, I personally don't introduce these things to my body. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to uh, ask someone else to do what I don't. I would sit down and see if we could come up with exactly what you are eating, what you are taking in, what are you consuming? Mm -hmm. And when I say consuming, I don't mean just eating. I I'm talking about that too. But let's take a look at your diet. Let's see what it is that you are eating. Let's see when you are eating. All of these different things play a part in how you feel. And often these things are discounted in uh, traditional therapy. Mm -hmm. These things absolutely have an effect. Um, I, ben Franklin said, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. We have to look at what it is that we are taking in and see exactly how those things are making us feel. We're not just talking about, like I said, consuming nutrients and food. What are we listening to? What are we hearing? Mm -hmm. 
Who's whose is the loudest voice in our lives and what are they saying to us? And then why do we believe them? You know, there's so many different things that we would have to take a look at and see what we might be able to manage before I think we get to the discussion on medication. Once again, that's an individual and subjective decision. Some people are like, listen, I feel bad. Give me something to make me feel good. <laughs> so, you know, you have people on all uh, sides of the spectrum with that. True, true. Um, and unfortunately, I've not met someone who said that yet. <laughs> Most of the people <laughs> I know, they don't want, I don't even take Tylenor. Um, so medication is not something I push or even suggest, but then I'm not in that space. But when people ask me, right. if, if not something, I don't, I don't like those things. Even my children growing up, you know, um, when they had surgery or anything like that, once they get home, you know, they give you, might give you something. I, t I take it from mm -hmm. them and I put it in a drawer on the lock and key. Not because right. I they were going to do something, but I feel that yet maybe after you come out of something intense, you might need it for one or two days. And we're in the, a lot of people think we have a high tolerance for pain because we don't. Yes run to that and it's not because of a high tolerance or pain we think about the the consequences of taking too much of that particular item yeah. and what it can do for you and so you take it for when you need it and just follow the process rest you know whatever you're supposed to do when you get home follow that process and and be you know just be paying attention and you won't i won't say you won't need it but we don't use it and yeah. so well, I, I see I see oftentimes that most of us give our power away to these professionals. And we believe that because you have this position, that means you know more than I do mm -hmm. as a lay person. Mm -hmm. And I just like to tweak that and say, you know, and I tell this to my, my clients, I may have more experience seeing people who are in your situation but you are better at knowing you than I am. So whatever information I'm giving you should be used for you to make a better decision in your life. You should not just give somebody the helm on your ship. You can have them give you information so that you could control your own ship. When we give away our power to these professionals, oftentimes we are disappointed because somebody didn't do their job in the way that we expected them to do it. So true. So, so true. we have to be the, the, the captain of our own ships and listen to helpful information that's going to guide us where we need to go. True. One question I want to ask you, since you talk about mental health and medication, What's your thought on people who, I don't even know what you, what you call this. I've seen people in position where they're overwhelmed with their life. They're overwhelmed mm -hmm. with their life in total and they will try different things. They don't really, well, those kind of people, you can't tell them anything. First of all, you only can make suggestions. That's what you should do to people. You shouldn't tell someone because you're becoming a bully. Mm -hmm. Suggest. Right. And these are people that I see and one side of the relationship will share with me. So I'm right. not in the midst of this relationship, but where they're overwhelmed with their life and they will finally get medication, a light version, 
because they're, you know, got it adjusted. And once they get the medication, their anxiety um, seem to tone down. Now I know there's food out there that can help do that because I'm also within a circle of young ladies who um, one of the person I work with is New Path Wellness. All they do is talk about food and natural oils mm -hmm. to help you get the result because, you know, most of these synthetic medication are mimicking some type of natural product out there. Yes. The same thing. So that's one of the things we need mm -hmm. to realize. There are natural food that God has provided for us that can do these yeah. things. But, you know, you don't go out there yourself and do it, but it's there. When you, how do you, how do you suggest, because this person is not willing to get counseling and therapy. How do you work with someone who have these mental issues that impact their life their space and the people within that space. How do you tell a person who's living with that person to get help? They'll do the medication. It will work for a while, but then they'll be concerned about, as you said, side effect, weight gain, weight gain. So therefore they'll stop. Even they know the benefit, the other, the only negative so far is weight gain, but the positive side of it, they're able to think clear and manage their life and not as anxiety and stress, and they're able to make better decisions. How do you work with a person? What do, you, what do you do? Well, I think with mental health, uh, mental health is personal to individuals. So if a person believes that something is not a problem, it's gonna be very, very difficult for you to convince them that there is mm -hmm. a problem. So you may see a problem, but they don't. It's until they see the problem, are they now willing to seek a solution? I think the last time I was here, I, I used the, the uh, phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yes. That is my mantra for therapy. Mm -hmm. We could see things all day long. I mean, I see beautiful people, mm -hmm. okay? And I'm talking about aesthetically, mm -hmm. who believe that they're ugly. Oh. And, you know, these are things that you can't convince someone of True. because this is a personal perception that they've adopted. Now, it's only until they realize that this is not serving them, this particular opinion is not serving them, um, are they willing to change? And I'm not I'm not talking about necessarily this uh, physical thing mm -hmm. but like for example anxiety yes uh anxiety for me is when you have people who have adopted a viewpoint of themselves that they don't own mm -hmm. they've listened to either a parent or a trusted individual who told them they should be this way they should be that way they mm -hmm. should do this they should so they're constantly under criticism Mm -hmm. throughout the time that they've grown up to the point that they believe everything that this person has, has told them to the point where when the person is no longer there, they still believe those things about themselves. Mm -hmm. So now, now this belief system that has been turned on by a parent, trusted individual, maybe even a group of people acts mm -hmm. on autopilot when these people are no longer around and the person now dooms themselves by this thought process that is not even their own, but they've adopted. 
So it's only when a person realizes, listen, this way of me thinking about myself as unworthy is not serving me. Mm -hmm. I have to make the transition and see that this is not serving me. And I have the choice to choose a better thought that does serve me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I want to be a singer, mm-hmm. and everybody tells me I'm a bad singer, <laughs> if I want to be a singer, you go then their that. opinions of me is not serving me and me being a singer, yeah. and I'm going to choose the ones that are best for me to and, and more consistent with me being a singer. Now that may put us out of odds with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Everybody else may say, oh, man, I don't know what's wrong with that person. He couldn't hold the note to the ba- to go to the bathroom. You know, <laughs> um, these things, until it becomes a problem for an individual, are they willing to look at things and see that there's an issue? So if they went to several different studios or whatever, you know, and you say, well, look, you went to 20 studios, you know, they say, well, look. James Brown uh, was rejected so many times when he went to be a singer, I'm gonna keep going. So we can present as much evidence as we want to this person. Once they've adopted a way of thinking, then that's the way that they're gonna go with it. Persistent, persistent. I call that um, self-advocate, self-preservation. That's one of my models, self-advocate, self-preservation. The will to live survive, you you do what you gotta do to get there and you advocate for yourself. Once you realize this is a must do situation, let me advocate for myself now to get there. <laughs> but it's true. And, and most of the times when we are underneath this, this, uh, this thinking and this criticism, we don't realize that there's another way of thinking. Like I don't have to adopt this, this attitude that I'm slow or I don't have to adopt this, uh, this belief system that I am not whatever you fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever has been prescribed to me, you know, I don't have to continue to perpetuate this belief. I can say, no, I am worthy. You know, no, no, I am smart. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I love that, that, uh, that movie that says you is smart. You is kind. You (laughs) is, uh, (laughs) I, I forget the, the other one, but, um, the help that's yeah. the name of yes i you, love you is important is the last one yes but you know those true. are things those are affirmations and things that we can believe about ourselves when someone treats us uh in a way less than we can say to ourselves that we are important and we can believe that we are important and that belief starts to change our um attitude and perception about it and our behavior so, you know, we have the ability to, if this is what's presented, we don't have to accept it. Mm-hmm. If it's not serving us, like I said, throw it away. True, I agree. If with it that. is serving us, then let's move forward towards it. So another another thought, another question. So from what we just discussed, people have to suggest it to take medication, take it, don't take it, finally find a happy medium. But a lot of this sometimes comes from things that happen in their childhood, trauma yeah. in their childhood that have 
they live with, and I assume at this point, it might be out of control or might be taking over their life. So is this what you consider generational trauma or just the trauma growing or their their parents' trauma leaking over in them and they basically are responding to it and always up in arms responding to their surrounding and they have become, what is it, a third-party trauma? <laughs> I don't know. The mm -hmm. word. And so yeah. they, they might not truly have an issue, but it's more defense mechanism protection for themselves through what they have grown up with that they now act out that appears to be a mental situation or, but it's not really, they just need to go back and identify what created that space, that behavior, that mindset to realize it's not theirs. They just end up taking it on because of what was going on from a kid growing up. Okay. I'm going to take that in a second. I just want to take, take a second to say that with the medication, Mm -hmm. um, especially in terms of schizophrenia and bipolar, mm -hmm. the medications usually work too well. And how can a medication work too well? Yeah. What it does is it makes you believe that the success that you are having is not due to the medication. Oh. So the person takes the medication, has this wonderful um, victory, and feels that it's not because of the medication. It's because of themselves and they get off of it. And uh, when they get off of it, then it's difficult for them to get back on it because they are now faced with all of the misperceptions that started them not to want to take it to begin with. So once the medication works, it usually works very well. Um, it should also work with psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. That's my prognosis. But in the things that you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, the, the question that, that, that's mm -hmm. on the table is there has to be a thorough assessment. We can't say whether this is generational trauma, whether this is trauma uh, from this or from that. We have to do a thorough history to find out exactly what a person has been through mm -hmm. and see exactly whether our thoughts are accurate or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's best to go into it without any thoughts whatsoever and find out what you find out. Mm -hmm. And that only comes through doing a thorough history and mm -hmm. thorough assessment to find out exactly what's taking place. And even then, you still don't know what it is because as you are going through the journey of therapy, more and more things are unraveled. So um, I think one of the best ways to refer to therapy is like that of an onion skin. Mm -hmm. So when you remove one skin of an onion, there's another layer that you have to remove. And after you remove that, there's another layer and another layer and another layer. So yeah. things are not linear, meaning that once you a person shows up into your office, you'll be able to say, oh, that's exactly what the problem is. You have to do such and such. It's like as you are going and moving on that journey, you're finding out other things and you're peeling back layers upon layers upon layers. So sometimes your initial assessment may not even be correct. You might have misaligned um, and associated two things that on the surface should, should have been associated, but you find out that the history 
and the process shows that they are separate. So, you know, you have to do an assessment and then you have to go through the process to find out exactly what it is. Wow, that's nice. That's good. I'm, I'm throwing all kinds of different things at you, <laughs> if you don't mind. Get the kitchen sink. Go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> okay. No, it's just, you know, as people bring things to my attention and different conversation, that's what I'm bringing to you, all the different people that come to me because, you know, that's not my forte. So, but I remember certain things that people had hangups on and yeah. different things they hear. So I'm like putting it out there. So when they're listening, mm -hmm. here it is from the yeah. professional mouth. It's coming well, from the professional the, the mouth. First, the first thing that I always say is that there is no one size fits all. Every situation is a unique situation and we have to really take a look at what the determining factors are, the history and so many other things. So we can't, it's, it's really hard to answer specific questions generally. Mm -hmm. But the way we come to the general is from seeing so many individuals that fit into this particular situation. So what I what I usually say is I don't know what's going on in your situation. Yeah. According to what I've seen, people in your situation usually this is the this is the issue. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that's happening in your case or not. We will get to the bottom of it and we'll find out. Because you can't come in already thinking that you know exactly what's going on cuz People only tell you what they want you to know, especially initially. Mm -hmm. And I, I often say, if, if you had a lifetime to tell me your life story, you'll still miss pieces of it because there were certain perceptions, certain other things. So, you know, um, I'm after really the, the most pertinent pieces, the most germane pieces to get you to having a coping mechanism and a way to alleviate this individual problem from your life. Okay. Wow. True. So throw something else on the table. Go ahead. So how do you parents help their children cope when they're, when they, when they first start up again, this is once again, these are people within I've spoken to. Okay. And they're, they're working on it now, but I just want to put it back because I'm sure there's other parents in that space. Your child is growing up. You see that they have a problem. You avoid medication. You avoid mm -hmm. it completely because you don't want to pump your kids up with medication. Right. But as okay. the child become older, you realize things are not working, mm -hmm. um, basically. And you now have to do something additional besides the therapy. Because I always okay. think therapy the first step. I, I love therapy. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you work with parents who are in... Or better yet, they need both parents. Parents are not living together. You need both parents' signature. How do you get the help for your child when you see they're having issues at a young age? What are the steps they take when they don't want, because they don't want to believe Susie or Billy have issues? First of all, they're in, it, it appears to me they might be in denial. How, mm -hmm. do you, how do you help that parents to recognize, to, to take the leap of fate and get start getting counseling to see if there's additional stuff needed versus waited too late and the child have not done the way they needed to do 
to survive in school or the pressure or whatever. I'm not using the proper word. I'm not a therapist, but I'm just saying. I, I completely understand your, your you, question you because I see it often. You know, um, I used to work in the school system and worked there for 20 years. And oftentimes I would see writing on the wall with a certain child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I am as candid mm -hmm. as I can possibly be. I would pull the, the parent aside and say, listen, I'm a clinical social worker. This is what I'm seeing. Um, I don't have any, any, uh, what is it? I don't have any um, motive. Say <laughs> okay. that again. Any motive. <laughs> yes. I don't have any motive outside of seeing your child be successful. Some of the things that I'm seeing with this child is going to lead this child over here. That's what I've seen in children who have presented this way. Mm -hmm. You can choose to do something about it now, or you could. we can have this conversation in two years. It's completely up to you. We have your child for a year. You have your child for a lifetime. We're bringing these things up to you. We are not trying to malalign your child. I am trying to be for you what I would want for someone to be to me if I was a parent and my child was presenting in a way that I could do something preventable with. So once again, the choice is yours. I'm just letting you know it's up to you to make the best decision. Wow. And that has that has worked. It worked you know, uh, it, it, it has worked, at least for me, because as a, a professional, I feel like if I can see a child moving towards danger, then as an adult, I'm going to do something about it. You know, if, if I see a child pedaling their bicycle into traffic, I'm going to go stop that child. Mm -hmm. You know, if I see a child pedaling into traffic and their parent is there and I'm signaling to the parent, then, you know, something has to be done. The parent is going to see eventually that there is danger, hopefully way before it's too late for us to do anything. You. So, you know, um, that is in some cases, some parents has heeded my uh, my recommendation. Other times they have not. But the bottom line is it all, it all comes out in the wash. And time has a way of revealing itself. So those parents who felt like, you know, I was possibly mistaken or whatever, have sometimes come to me and say, you know, when you told me what you told me, I should have listened, you know? And the, the wonderful thing is that it kind of parents talk amongst themselves. So after a while, people start to see you as a credible messenger because they know that you are not trying to do harm to their children and you are not part of the conspiracy to try to get them on medication or, you know, uh, anything else outside of them getting the best care uh, for themselves. And sometimes that may be medication for some families. It may not be. Get the information, make, get educated, make an informed decision. Okay, I love that. I love that. Thank you. So I hope a lot of people is hearing that. That means that being, being open-minded for when you don't want to admit it out, out loud, but you realize your child 
might be challenged in certain area in certain things. Be open-minded. So when school official or any professional come to you with an idea, not say you have to jump on it, but just be open-minded to receive it and do your homework on it before you, you know, shut it out completely. That's what I want people to hear. Be open-minded to it. Not saying yeah. that these people are right 100%, but if you also sense something, because I think as parents, we we can sense when things are not right. Whether we want to admit it, embrace it, we can sense it. And sometimes it's, it's more about our feelings than the actual child situation before we act on it. It's more how we feel and how we feel the world's gonna perceive how our child is not the child, not one, it is how we have to digest it first in order to get the help we need for our child. Um, yeah. Another question I want to ask. I know. Last question. Last question. You can ask me a million more. In fact, I'll come back if you want me to. <laughs> Definitely. I guess, listen, there's so many things out there that I see around me that, you know, I'm bringing in. I'm hoping that people are listening and hearing and hearing. Um, now, another situation, you have a parent who have a lot going on with them mm -hmm. and they're just all over the place and they have young kids. I'm concerned and my thought, and you know, I'm very mindful of what I suggest. You know, I'm listening for every time I suggest therapy and counseling, I probably be, I probably rich now, but, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but do you feel that when a parent have bad coping skill, whether it be due to mental issue, medical mm -hmm. issue, because sometimes we're not mental, but we're sick and we're overwhelmed with our sickness and the lack of support that it look like we might be challenged in the mental area, but we're not. Right. We just don't have the proper support. Or when we were growing up, we didn't have given the right skill set. Now, that parent with this type of habit, do you feel they're now passing on those same unfulfilled skill to their younger kids and grown kids. What's your thought? And, and does that type of thing create mental issue or the belief there might be mental issue? I, I you know, it's an open question. I don't know. I, I, I believe that they, they do. Um, I saw a t-shirt that said it best. They said, either you go to therapy or have children that do. Ah, so like it that. speaks to the fact that if we don't work out our own uh, ways of doing things, then we pass those on. In any science, there is a nature-nurture argument. So it's always, is this a hereditary situation or was it created by the way that a person thinks? And did this person pass down this way of thinking and has led to a person making the same choices as their parents. So, you know, on every topic in science, there's that nature nurture uh, argument. So I personally believe that it's a bit of both. I think that some of, some things are natural and some things are, um, are wow. <laughs> um, I think some things are circumstantial. Yes. So some things you, you, are born with other things you learn. 
-hmm. you learn from uh, your environment. So, Okay, I, I agree with you because I've seen people, individuals who got good intentions, but their decision-making and the response and the trauma they're creating for their kids. Mm -hmm. The trauma because, because they're, oh, what's the word? Lacking of being able to make proper decision in the in a media in a media situation where they know mm -hmm. what the consequences are, they know the outcome. Right. But they don't make it now. Yeah. This is what's going to happen, and what's going yeah. to happen is going to be negative, mm -hmm. and that negative situation is is traumatic on people in their circle because it's happening to them medically. It's traumatic, so I can only imagine the child. Yeah. If it's traumatic to me as an adult, knowing that this is 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 happening to you because of the decision you made, and then it happened, and I'm traumatic by it, even though I know it was a bad choice. How mm -hmm. does the child feel knowing that Paris is going through that traumatic situation? Well, that that's difficult because the 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 child has to have the wherewithal to see all that the parent is going through. Most of the times. We find those things out once we get to adulthood. We realize that, you know, our parents are, were not perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the maturity comes in us forgiving our parents for not being perfect and realizing that they did the best that they could do with what they had. Now, whether that was enough for us is something different. But, you know, those things come from maturity and from us looking back and seeing one thing that I can say is that if you are a worrisome or neurotic parent, you're going to raise worrisome and neurotic children because you're going to pass down your fears, your perceptions and other things to this child who hasn't had a their own self-perception with the world. Most of the information that they're getting is passed down. This is where we talk about the generational uh, trauma is when you have people who pass down a situation or a perception so well that the child who has not experienced it feels as if they have. So if the parent was bitten by a dog, then the child walks around dogs and is terrified of dogs and never had any, any um, contact with a dog. But the perception they have and the fear that they have been given has been directly provided for by their parent. So true because I, once again, I'm surrounded. <laughs> well, the world is full of a variety of different people and, you know, yes. just see a variety of different things. And I'm very observant. And there is a situation where I know that the parent is, um, do have the situation. And now I know I'm speaking to this person their children now have these same symptoms. But when I listen to that person speak, their parents also had that situation. So now you make a theme like, is it a gener generational thing or environmental thing? Correct. And, you know, once again, please, therapy, you go seek your therapy. And, but for them, I've noticed that the person in the middle who have received and is given, they might be in therapy, but I've realized in listening to them, the person before them 
don't want to do therapy and the person they're giving don't want therapy. So what happened in that situation? The person who acknowledged that they have received and they have given is getting therapy because I guess they understand now, but the party on both end mm -hmm. don't refuse to get therapy. What happened in a situation like that? How do you help those people growing up the, from the other, uh, God forgive me, the one from before, they're old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're old, so you can just let them be. <laughs> they're old and they're limited what they're going to do to themselves. But the the the, um, the children that you're passing it on, they have the ability, if they don't get the assistance, to continue that generational trauma. Yeah. And create themselves to be in spaces where they end up in traumatic situation because of those beliefs. So mm -hmm. what do you say? Well, you know, once again, when the student is ready, the teacher. Oh my God. <laughs> so we can't, we can't force somebody to want better for themselves, even if we can see it. Okay. Unfortunately, there are, we, we can't divorce children from their parents. Mm -hmm. So we may know parents have bad habits um are passing on um maladaptivity to their children but we can't stop it okay I stopped, I missed it. Go the ahead. best thing that we can do is to figure out where we're going to start because it's a it's a circle it's a circle it's like what came first the chicken or the egg we just have to put our stick in the mud at what point that we put the stick in the mud and help out from that perspective. That's the best that we can. If we start to undertake more than we, we can actually do, then we are going to achieve the level of anxiety that we probably don't want to introduce to a situation. Okay. So we have to start where we start, help where we help, and understand if we could help in other places, we would love to, but this is where we can be the most helpful and we have to start there. Okay, now I'm gonna try to wrap it up, try to not think up any more questions. Um, do you feel as human, because the way the world have moved forward and all the different things that happen in this world and depends on what culture and where you're from and what's going on, that mental health is going to be challenged. Our mental well-being is being challenged on a day-to-day -day basis. And do you feel that a good percentage of people in the world are mentally challenged? Well, when we are talking about mental health challenges, um, it is completely subjective. So it's up to the individual who is seeking therapy to seek therapy. Mm -hmm. Once they seek therapy, then now we can take a look and see how the issue that they are having is impacting their lives. If they don't feel like it's impacting their lives, we cannot help them. So you, so have, to want it, you have to want it to get it. And you have, we have to, to wait for it. it to be a problem for the person who it should be a problem to. Okay. And only then can we provide therapy. Okay, another question, similar in that line, because unfortunately the world is very judgmental. So mm -hmm. a person don't think it's an issue, they're able to function, but mm -hmm. people around them feel that there is an issue 
and it it might be explosive, whatever that people could the world judge. What do you say to those people who are very quick to judge, label, and act on it, meaning that they might stop that person from moving forward in their life, they might stop that person from moving up the corporate ladder because in their mind they feel there's something wrong with them. They will not support that person in certain spaces because they feel there's something wrong and that person is not listening to them. What do you say to those people who are judging other people and making decision and action on those people behalf based on their own vision. What do you say to those people? Well, what I would say is allow it to be a problem for that individual. Once it is a problem for that individual, then that individual can seek therapy. If it's a problem for the entire family, then possibly an intervention would help because it would show that while it's not a problem for the individual, it is a problem for everyone else around them. So that may compel the person to want to do something different. But, you know, I think that especially in this day and age, um, everybody knows Dr. Google on a first name basis <laughs> and uh, figures that they can Google a few things and diagnose people and determine exactly what is uh, what a person needs. Mm -hmm. Read those things to the professionals. You're, the best way that you can help is to help. You know, unsolicited help is not assistance. Mm -hmm. If no one asked you and you feel the need to inject your help or your opinion, mm -hmm. oftentimes that is not helpful. What you can definitely speak to is how this behavior that this person is showing has interfered with your friendship or your relationship and allow that person to see what type of effect it's having and whether they want to change or not. Thank you. Well said from the professional. <laughs> because I've, I've seen where people are very quick, even in my workplace, where somebody said, oh, that person is crazy. That person is this, that person is that. Oh, no. And for me, um, people report to me and I, I work in a union environment. So people bid and bump. I can't choose certain position. I can choose certain things I can't choose. And people come to me and people tell me that person is crazy. To mm -hmm. me, I thought that if you can do the work yeah, and maintain the work, do it. Other than that, when I, if I disqualify you, it won't be based on your mental capacity, but the fact that you can't do the work and what I write it up is and, based and I'm on sorry, I just have to jump in here because <laughs> the way you you basically took the air right out of my sail, you know, <laughs> um, whenever a person says someone is crazy, it's, it's a dismissive way of saying, I don't understand this person. Mm -hmm. People who have mental illnesses, their behavior makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. They are doing things that make sense to, to themselves. They just don't make sense to us. And when we see a person acting in a way outside of the logic that we would use, mm -hmm. then we dismiss them by calling them crazy. You termed it disqualify. Same thing. I'm no, so no, no, glad that you recognize. Yeah. So, yeah. When I thought yeah. disqualified him from the job. Like right, right. I understand. Me. I understood exactly me. what you meant. Yeah. Huh? When I disqualify you from the job, it's not because people call you crazy. I have nothing to do yeah. with that. I'm focused right. more. Can you actually do the job that you're here right. to do? And we have a thing called DQ. 
DQ mean that you're disqualified from this particular job. You're not qualified for this position. Okay. That's what I mean by disqualified. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, not just qualifying a person. No, I disqualify them when they come to the job because I have a process, a transparency mm. process where you're learning and the person who's teaching you, I make it transparent because nobody sabotage anyone regardless of how they feel about you. Well, the, the term that you use is still appropriate because that's exactly what people do, either uh, dismissing or disqualifying everything uh, that they say and do, you know, so um, uh, in terms... Okay. I'm glad that you don't do that. That's yeah, that's I don't, the point. Oh yeah, You're just, no, I don't because know. Because so I'm many very people do. Mm -mm, yeah. I'm very transparent. I believe that when a person is trained, I get a report from them on the end of the week with both parties mm -hmm. on the email saying that I've teach Susie A, B, and C, and Susie's on right. the email to say yes, Bill, teach me A, B, and C, yeah. and it's your opportunity to speak up because you will not say you teach somebody something and you didn't. Or better yet, someone will lie and said you didn't teach them. So weekly report and both party is in there to be able. So when a person can't get it, and I, you know, extended the the fact is this, regardless of what your behavior is, I'm focused. Mm -hmm. What is the work? What is the task at hand that need to be done? Yeah. And are mm -hmm. you capable of doing the task at hand? Because I feel some people that people might consider sane can't do the work. But the person you consider crazy is doing the work. So let's just focus on what the task at hand is, because once again, what we're thinking and what people are judging and what they're labeling and what they're calling it. And sometimes people just like to jump on the bandwagon and label this individual. And that's that's exactly why I say that I look at the behavior as productive or non-productive, mm -hmm. because if we look at it from those lines, we don't have to worry about whether a person is uh, dealing with the, the confines of this reality. Mm -hmm. It's whether they are doing things that are consistent with their goal or consistent with the task at hand. So it specifies and, and uh, points everything towards productivity. Mm -hmm. So if, they, if they're productive, then they can do the job. If it's non-productive, then it's getting in the way of them doing the job. So yeah, that, that's why I base it on to me because a person can have whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't even know the right word I want to use. The word I'm going to use is not going to be appropriate, technical, probably politically incorrect. You're off in this particular area, right? But everything else you do is so exceptional to me. It it compensates for this area you're off. Yeah, and. And I think most of the time, these people who are in these situations, they see it. They see it and they recognize it. And a lot of time I've seen people when they're like that, they're very defensive because they've been told and they've been pointed out to them so many times that they can prepare armed and ready to fight. Mm -hmm. But to be in their space, they need to be in because of this one shortcoming that everyone consider a shortcoming and not understanding them as a whole. And they well, most of the times we, we pigeonhole and compartmentalize people to make us feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if they're doing something that makes us uncomfortable, we can dismiss them and put them in one barrel and not have to deal with them. But by us doing that, we are basically throwing away the whole apple as mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, seeing exactly what else is going on or what can, what is good, looking at the merits of a situation. So if we 
automatically figure that a person is a bad person, then we don't look for good qualities. We already dismissed them and said they're a good person. If we, if they, if we consider them to be a good person, then we don't look for bad qualities. It's a way for us to believe in comfort. So if we think that a person is sane, then okay, then they can do the job. If a person is not sane, then they can't do the job. But if we look at each person in terms of their productivity mm-hmm. in this particular area, all of those other things are exactly that, other things that have no basis in whether a job can be done or not. Yes. With our differently abled people, we are now looking at them and seeing that they have far more to offer the industry and the workforce than us just saying, oh, this person has this or this person has that, so they can't do the job. It's like we are seeing that people are able to do the job, whether we think they can or can't. One of the things that I love is it's not the IQ of a person, it's the I will. Yes. Oh, I like that. I like that. And it's true because I I don't worry about what people say about somebody when I work with them. I'm going to go for myself how I interact with you because I've also realized too personality dislike you don't click with somebody and therefore your dislike for them turns into something really not so positive that you'll say about them and you'll paint them in a negative picture and so you have to be careful what you're being fed and be careful you know that when people come to someone give you news about them is it sincere or is it a personal thing and I think so many people are labeled mental. Uh-huh. And I, but I think we all as human have something that is, oh, what's the word I want to use? I think we're off in some way. I think we all have a deficiency. We all have deficiency and we're all are compensating in so many different ways. And some, even the people who are, the IQ that is so high and uh-huh. went to the Ivy League college, they have inadequate deficiency and they compensate in different ways. And some people just got better outside support, better tools to enable them to massage those incompetency, this deficiency to, to kind of blend them. A well, little. nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. But for people who have mental health challenges, we look at them more from their deficiency and from people who don't, we look at them from more of their ability. So it's it's really just a perception that we have that we really need to um, disregard and really see what a person is bringing to the table and what abilities they have as opposed to what they don't have. This is one of the issues that I have with diagnosing mm-hmm. is I believe diagnosing is more descriptive Okay, there are some people when you're talking about severe mental health that no, this is not just descriptive. This is starting to overlap with medical. But what happens is the general public looks at these diagnoses and start to speak over people's lives or completely say this person doesn't have depression. This person is depressed. This person is bipolar. This person is ADHD. And when you start to take a diagnosis and make that to be a determination of a person's ability, I think that we get into a dangerous place. The diagnoses are for the professionals. 
and allow the professionals the leverage to communicate on that level. Because when a, a lay person starts to communicate clinical terms to a clinician, those mean something completely different things. So oftentimes I would rather lay people stay away from those terms because they are clearly delineated and defined uh, mm -hmm. in the DSM four, I mean five. Mm -hmm. And when people are just throwing them out, they're throwing things out based on their personal experience. So we're not comparing apples to apples. We're actually comparing apples to oranges. Good. Wow. Thank you so much again. Um, I use certain words in my, you know, conversation that I do on my podcast, but I always refer back, please see a therapist. And I mm -hmm. can't say the word enough. Like I said, if I were to get paid, I'd be rich right now. Because many <laughs> time I use the word. No, because I believe that um, therapy to me is like a tune-up. Um, you yeah. don't have to be off, but it's, sometimes it's good to just have somebody there that you can speak to that understand your journey, your trial and tribulation. And, you know, and also I'll let people know that same thing when it comes to a coach, make sure you resonate with that person. Make sure you click with that person. And mm -hmm. you have the right to leave that person. Don't feel like once you make that commitment to utilize that person, if you realize after For whatever reason, leave. You could decide that you don't like the shoes that the person wears. If that's the reason that you don't like, then that's going to interfere with your your um yes. your relationship yes. and most likely your progress. Yes. Therapy is both a science and it is a um it's an art mm -hmm. and it is completely subjective on how we see this person and whether we believe this person is smart enough or is able to assist us. A good portion of the therapy comes in our belief that something is going to, to, um, to be better or remediated. And that helps with the relationship, which then informs the type of care that a person receives. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to like the person it's important for us to resonate with that person mm -hmm. on on a lot of levels. So yeah. it's it's not, you know, at, with your doctor, you don't necessarily have to like your doctor. You don't have to necessarily like your lawyer. You know, all of these different other fields, you don't necessarily have to like the individual to um, gain from them. Mm -hmm. But therapy is one that is far more subjectively based mm -hmm. than these other things. So I say you do have to like your therapist. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. That you have to, you know, you have to resonate with the person. And the same thing goes for me as a coach. And that's one of the first thing we talk about. The person has to, they have to be at that connection. If you yeah. want the person to bear their soul to you and really feel comfortable in sharing their idea, they have to connect. And you always want your clients to feel that it's okay if we don't connect and you want to move on. Never make that client feel that they're terrified yeah. and they avoid you instead of just saying it's not working. And right. I always preach that when you come in, if we don't click, it's okay. Yeah. I'll refer you to somebody else or give your list where you can find someone else. And we have to keep that in mind um, in order for people to get growth. They have to be in a place where they feel safe at all time and they feel that their best interest is the priority. And for me as a certified coach, 
I always let people know I don't have an agenda. When I work with you, there's no agenda. I don't have a goal that I'm trying to meet. It's not about me. You're the main person and it's all about you, your goal, what you desire and everything. And I'm just here to assist you to move forward. And people, when it comes to even your personal doctor too, make sure the doctor is listening to you. Any any professional you go to and it's come to your well-being, make sure they listen to you. And if they're not, with today's society and the programs we have and the, the network system we have when it comes to our medical thing, you have choices and options. So you don't have to settle. You can always go back in your network. Even if you don't get your medical through your employer, if you're getting it on some other network system outside, they also have options and choices. So keep in mind, you're never stuck with the person you have if they're not working for you and don't feel guilty, don't feel bad. It's your right as an individual, self-preservation, self-advocate. You are your best advocate for yourself. And remember, you come first and you know what you want, you know what's going on within. And when you're ready, make sure you're in the right place. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure to interview again. And we're getting ready to wrap it up. I love this conversation. I will definitely have you back in the future. There's so much to talk about and so much knowledge to gain. And just just having a perspective of yours. Um, Once again, remember self-love and self-care with positive affirmation is feeding one mind, body, soul, and spirit. Remember, you are worthy of all good things that comes your way. And- my podcast is dropped twice a month, every other week. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And my company name is Survivor Empower Life Coach Financial.com, Self Acrement, and same name on Facebook. It's been a pleasure to have you again. And see you, everyone. Bye. Mm-hmm.